Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to the second part of a two-part modcast series with Dr. Trina S. Freever. Let's jump right back into the conversation. There was certainly a writerly space that was more male-defined a century ago. Was it also the readerly space also a bit more male-defined? Well, now we're getting into my dissertation. Um, Because, yeah, I I would say so. I would say there was an acceptance in the 19th century of women reading in a way that there wasn't in the 18th century. I mean, I crack up when I read the early novels of colonial America mm-hmm. and and revolutionary America. And it's always like, you know, you read a novel, you're going to end up dead if you're a woman, <laughs> right? That, that there was this very, you know, brutal cautionary tale against women reading novels. You know, novels yeah. were going to rot your brain and turn you to sin, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. And it's, it's, and that's it's a, rough. That's a bit of a joke in behind some of the uh, some of the the stories, right? Montgomery wrote is you know right. that's a novel, right? That yeah. she knew she knew of those traditions. Um, yeah. In the Blue Castle, she she poked yeah. some serious fun at that viewpoint <laughs> through Valency's mother, mm. and yeah, and I don't know, are we are we allowed to talk? veiled sexuality in montgomery for a minute here (laughs) i don't know where else yeah (laughs) well because because i remember hearing a conference paper and i am so sorry that i don't remember who said it but hopefully we can find it and credit them afterward yeah who argued that that reference to valency's mother not wanting valency to go read novels alone in her room was probably a masturbatory reference that she was afraid you know valency was going to engage in sin alone in her room as a result of reading these novels and and so yeah i think montgomery and as soon as i heard that essay i was like yep that's exactly right she's got it montgomery has read all of that early cautionary stuff she knows that tradition i mean we know montgomery read just hundreds and hundreds of books i mean she was the an amazing reader. And so she's responding to that tradition, I think, based on what I heard in that conference, I I formed then my own view. Yes, I think she's responding to to that literary tradition quite deliberately. And, um, and yeah, so I think, but I think in the 19th century, based on my dissertation argument, um, and I, I focused on the U.S., for my dissertation, but I definitely see Montgomery and a few other writers as kind of offshoots of what I looked at um, with their own contexts. But I think writing was become, or sorry, reading was accepted for women, but it was becoming stigmatized gender reading. That there was this effort by male publishers in particular, even more than male authors, but a lot of male authors jumped on the bandwagon to depict books for women as like cute little books that no literary person would waste their time with. And that, you know, the books that men were writing were the important books. Right. And we see that emerge as a public as a publishing strategy, um, you know, at mid to late 19th century. And so I think that's, for me, that's when that dichotomy emerges that, okay, now women are allowed to read, but we're not going to take it seriously. Right. So it's actually backwards. So it's like women end up being important in the development of the novel. So therefore we we're going to set aside the novel as a non-category. Yeah. And, and of course there's the famous, for those of us that study U.S. lit, lit, there's that famous quote by Hawthorne about the damned mob of scribbling women, 
right? <laughs> because because of course they all outsold him, yeah, right? That that they all the women that he was decrying, you know, had better sales than he did, and he was ticked off. Even though I have to say yeah. I do love Hawthorne's work, I'm you know I am a Hawthorne fan in some regard, but we we not a huge fan of some of the things he had to say about women, and that um, yeah. and but I do also think like when you said you know how is that developing. So I think Montgomery was at a point historically, and of course, I'm having to oversimplify a little here, you know, for Mm -hmm. podcast purposes. But I think Montgomery was at a point historically, where that more scholarly view of reading, you know, my reading is important, had to be defended, had to be asserted, you know, women who read need to be taken seriously. And, and I think that persists today. I mean, there's, I think there's still a very prevalent view of like, well, yeah, sure, women read, but they don't read the real stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think, I mean, I I obviously was won over by your argument that um, (laughs) that 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 was the case. And so I also, um, so like I buy the idea that Montgomery is, I think the way you put it is writing readers. Yes. Um, That was one of my phrases. Yeah. She's writing them in the text and then she's writing them in our world. Exactly. The the primary world as uh, women become readers, writers, creators, scholars, Mm -hmm. um, and, and so on. And so it it passes on. Well, a hundred years later, a century Mm -hmm. later, it's actually boys who are the endangered reader. Um, It's all, it's upside down, right. From where it may have been in the past. Um, And, and I'm a, a boy um right. <laughs> you know, i and and i mean i go to the ella montgomery conference and you know there's 150 women in the room and mm-hmm. and and me and a couple of guys right so it mm-hmm. it is a, it is it is certainly worked <laughs> i mean i think i think it's pretty evident right so well, where, do, where do we fit then like as boys like what do we I, do i i'm going to both agree and disagree on that okay go because ahead. my experience in school both sort of early elementary, all the way up through graduate school, was that even when women were the majority, men were still listened to more and taken more seriously. That even if there were only two men in the class, they would often have 25 to 50% of the talk time. I'm a big reader of Deborah Tannen, um, or I haven't read all her stuff, but I'm very familiar with Deborah Tannen. It might be a better way to put it. But um, but that even if there were only two men in the class, they were given 25 to 50% of the discussion time and the rest of the women were crammed into the other 50%. Um, so, so I think that's both true and not true. Um, but I do certainly weep for the idea that young boys are not being nurtured as readers because I think that is happening and that breaks my heart. Um, you know, everyone in my family is a reader. <laughs> and, and I think it's so, and my best friend as a child was a boy. So I, it's like, you know, it breaks my heart to think that boys aren't being nurtured and cultivated as readers. And so your experience of being like, you know, you know the, the, <laughs> one of the few boys in the room, yeah, I, I, that must be really difficult. And, and yeah, and and no, I actually it's, it's honestly kind of fun. Like it, it is. Okay. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in no. Um, uh, I am not a a, a beaten okay. uh, person. You don't this. consider yourself oppressed in the readerly community. No, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit. It's a bit intimidating, but also the Montgomery conferences are intimidating because, like, the leading scholars, like for the whole generation, are sitting there watching you give your paper. Right. So, oh. 
Yeah, tell me about it. I remember quaking in my boots the first time I did a <laughs> workshop and Mary Rubio and Elizabeth Waterson were sitting yeah. like right in the middle of a loud crap. Yeah, Betsy Epperly was my timer the first oh. time I gave a paper. So she's the one holding the clock telling me. And, <laughs> anyway, and, it's just. And I, I'm going to have a fangirl moment because I just adore her work. I mean, yeah. she is so well-versed in so many different traditions and so many different types of scholarship. I remember hearing her paper in, mm, I'm going to forget which year, I want to say the 2012 conference. And she was doing all this cool stuff with like brain theory and, and you know, how how our our cerebral processing works and how that connects to reading. And, and I'm just in awe of her every time she speaks. So yeah, that is, that is definitely an intimidating thing. Plus, don't you find at the Montgomery conferences, um, everybody's read everything. Like I, I still have a couple Montgomery books I haven't read and, and you, you, you're terrified because (laughs) Even like, you know, the woman in the front row from Des Moines, who is a retired stay at home mom and is now a, you know, full time reader and quilter is going to be able to call you out and know more than you on certain things. Absolutely. Although most of my academic experience has been fan like genre fiction. So that's, that's pretty common, but yeah, you're right. I'm always worried. I'm going to get a magic for Marigold question. Right. uh, Right. Which I don't know what to do with yet. Or or they're going to be like, yeah, but in that journal entry from X date and this, and then I'm like, you know, I read that once six years ago. I don't remember. I'm I'm sure I have a pencil mark there, but. Right. um, so, but, yeah, like, but every reader is such, yeah, every reader in some ways is a scholar. Like they yeah. all know it all. Yeah. Well, I hope we can win boys, continue to win boys. Um, yeah. But I will, I will note that the conference thing, I mean, Montgomery conference is different, but most conferences are more, um, you know, a, a bit more diverse gender wise. Yeah. But I, I have this, I have this project that I do when I'm an attendee where I don't ask a question until a woman has asked a question that's a nice idea and there's been whole presentation like whole periods i haven't been able to get a spot right because it was one guy after another yeah. um, and of course conference questions are half the time three quarters of the time not questions right and, and so yeah so it was a shocking experiment when i started doing it about 10 years ago and, um, yeah and and, and what can, can I encourage an alternate experiment that some friends and I did in graduate school and we found it hugely successful? What's that? Is that it, next time, instead of waiting until a woman's asked a question, yeah. interject when one of the men is asking a question and then hand off from your question to a woman or person of color. <laughs> and yeah, we, well. we did it in grad school really effectively i think several of our teachers never noticed because they would always routinely just go around the room and call on the white men and we started i'm an assertive talker as you might have figured out so (laughs) i often didn't have a trouble kind of grabbing the floor and so i would very purposefully grab the floor and try and hand it off to somebody who had a harder time grabbing the floor 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think as moderators, we have uh, some interesting things. And even actually, I'll, we'll have to figure out what we do with this particular microphone, right? Um, and how mm -hmm. this is used. Yeah. Well, look, I want to... Uh, I, I hope I didn't blow off your gender question, though. Would you like me to oh, speak more to that? No, or? no. Well, Jeepers. No, I don't know. Well, I... <laughs> I don't know what I don't know that it's answerable exactly okay. in the sense that um, boys do, do what readers do, right. which is live in a character of a diverse, you know, space and other, mm -hmm. right? To read well, is to live in the experience of the other, right? Yeah, I think, that, well, I think that that's okay. Yes and no. Uh, that's okay. Now I am going to jump on that one because. Sure. One of the things that I studied when I was studying psychology was, um, and I also brought this into some of my graduate school research, even though I had stopped studying psychology formally at that point, um, is the ways in which women socially and, I would argue, readerly are not taught to read the other when they read. They're taught to identify, immerse, and empathize. And so when a woman reads Huck Finn, she is Huck Finn, or she is Jim. When a woman reads, um, I'm trying to think of other examples, you know, but when many women who read Harry Potter, even though there's a good core of us who really identify with Hermione, many, many women read Harry Potter identifying with Harry Potter. And I had a student once who identified with Ron. Right. right. See, I guess that's what and, I actually mean. Yeah, not many yeah. identifiers, Ron, but okay. that's what I mean is actually the the reader, the good reader is somebody mm -hmm. who becomes the whatever well, the, the perspective is in a certain and, kind of yes. way. Yes. And, and you strike me as a good reader the way that you talk. But my guess is that you've probably had to overcome a certain amount of socialization in order to do that, because most men historically, but I would argue even today to some degree, are taught to not not to empathize or to or to immerse, but to otherize, to go, well, this is me and that's them. Oh, I and see. Then, yeah. I was yeah. I was saying the I was saying the the opposite, which is what you're saying, which is and I don't know why I was taught that way or what. And maybe that's yeah. the key. Well, except well and I had a I mean I had a feminist mom and and, yeah. and all my all my teachers were women. I didn't have any exceptions to that. And but, so but that it, it was could true. Just be that way. Even yeah. with these other things happening, that was still occurring even when elementary schools were predominantly taught by women and things like mm -hmm. that. And and some of it may just be social programming that most people don't notice, right? That we perpetuate. Yeah. But I also do wonder to what degree, now that we're discussing this, reading fosters empathy. Yeah. No matter who you are, that is, that that the, the the dynamic that I'm identifying of lacking empathy or, or or reading as other might be something that develops later. That whoever you are, if you learn to read in an empathetic way very early, you probably, again, I'm conjecture about what happens in that of the reader, but it's certainly possible that that gets carried through life, wow. not just as a reader, but out in the world. Wow, I, I don't even know how to read, as you're saying it, it's, it's a category I haven't thought of. I don't know how to read distantly in this sense. Right, and it, but isn't that a great thing? Right? Well, I, yeah, I, 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 I believe so. Like, I mean, to, like if I can't become, you know, you know if, the, if the book itself isn't a doorway for my own 
adventure, right. not just the adventure of the people in the stories, then I'm not I'm not sure what exactly you know we're doing here. Like, right, but, exactly. Yeah, I, and, I, yet, I don't... and yet there are some books that conspicuously block out particular readers that I like as a woman, it's like, oh, it's hard for me to get into this book. It's hard for me to get into this book. Sure, I, sure. as a child, loved The Secret Garden and The Little Princess. But I've had some people respond to me on Bookstagram who are from India and who say, you know, I I felt blocked out of yeah. identification in those books because they're so heavily from a colonial viewpoint. And that made sense to me. And I thought, oh, how sad that that book couldn't have been written in a slightly different way to allow more readers in to have the kind of experience that I had with it. And sorry, I hadn't somewhere else I was going with that. <laughs> I got sidetracked into the, Oh, I was going to say, I think Montgomery is, that was my point. I think Montgomery is in many regards, maybe not all, but in many regards is open in that way. And that's why, even to some people's surprise, we do have so many men who come around and go, oh, I love that book. Oh, I love that book. Sometime to their own surprise. I don't think she blocks out a male reader. Yeah. I. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I was thinking I'm just reaching here for, uh, for a way of putting it. I think that mm -hmm. uh, kind of captures it. And I think, I think for me, well, obviously women readers respond you know, maybe in greater numbers than men. I don't, I don't feel, I feel like it's partly my duty as a reader to make some leaps. Now there's some books mm -hmm. that it goes too far. Mm -hmm. or, it's, or it's too uh, difficult, right? Or I'm just not interested or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to kind of, I think to read is a kind of surrendering to a text in a certain kind of a way. Uh, use the word empathy. If, if we think, you know, if I can twist that word, you know, and think of path, pathy, not just as an emotion right. or connection, but as a pathway, I think we walk along with our readers. And right. uh, I, I was reading in the journals today, you, you, you're going to mock this, I think, in a second. And Montgomery wrote of a book, an older book that, that she liked, uh, Zanoni. Uh, she says, when I took up Zanoni as a child, I seemed to open a magic door and stepped at once into a world of enchantment. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, that's the that's the brilliance of a book is yes. to walk into that and the enchantment or disenchantment or re-enchantment of the book uh, can be of all kinds of numbers of ways. Like it's not a single formula. Mm -hmm. And, and perhaps the brilliance of Montgomery is that she both understands that as a reader and a writer yeah. and is able to create that experience for her readers with yeah. her work. Well, well, brilliant. Uh, look, we, we're going I want to pivot. We were running out of time here, and I want to move okay. to yeah. Well, I just want to talk a, a little bit about um, something that you're working on now. But the sure. the but I want to stop and I want to do uh, a speed round. So this is I'm going to give you questions okay. that you haven't seen ahead of time, and we're still kind of naming this. I was calling it the enlightening round, uh, or <laughs> yeah, the, love a good fun. Yeah, well, or the flash round, or question. Right. From, Question of Emily, right? Yeah, because of Emily. Or questions from Captain Jim's parlor. So I'm just still kind of thinking <laughs> and you I can be Captain my Jim. you can be my test uh, on this thing. So I'm gonna ask you a series of questions. Try not to give it too much time, just blurt out the answer for Okay, about. so sorry, just to yeah. clarify. So you you're gonna ask me quick questions, but you also want 
quick answers. Quick answers. All right, give me about five seconds to kind of regroup myself if you want hum the Jeopardy theme for a minute. <laughs> We're all just laughing appropriately. Okay. okay. You're yeah. ready mentally? All right. Good. I'm ready. Excellent. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. Raspberry cordial or red currant wine? Cordial. What non-traditional pet would you like to have? Oh, um, so not dog or cat. I know you. you right, know. right. No, I'm, 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 I'm trying to choose. I'm sitting here going like, oh, well, a dragon would be good, but yeah. you know, I, I also really like. Well, and of course, okay, I'm gonna do two. I'm gonna do dragon is my actual answer, and then narwhals are my favorite they actually exist but they seem like they're fictional yeah oh man oh yeah good great answer i'll have people should google both those images all right <laughs> okay i want you to cho choose one um you don't have to explain just choose a day at the beach a walk in the woods an afternoon in the archive oh I can't choose. What are you kidding me? <laughs> all three different days. <laughs> yeah. Of course you can do all of that in Prince Edward Island once everything. Yeah. Well, and I, I do live near the ocean. So if you're going to force me to choose, I would probably choose ocean, but I, those are all equally wonderful things to me. All right. I was recently asked which uh, Disney princess I was, um, <laughs> which I think is an interesting question for me, but uh, what uh, Montgomery heroine are you? Well, I also want to answer the Disney Princess one. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, because I'm I'm going through a phase of being completely obsessed with Moana right now. And again, so that and that fits with the ocean theme. So yes. I'm gonna go with Moana for the moment. Um and then so which Ellen Montgomery heroine am I? Yes, absolutely. <sighs> I'm a cross between Anne Shirley and Sarah Stanley. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I have trouble uh remembering even though I, I'm, I'm actually currently reading uh, um, the, um, the 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 Sarah Stanley story, but uh, the Story mm -hmm. Girl, but I I still have uh, the Road to Avonlea TV series from when I was a kid in my mind. And, and I think I'm lucky because I read Story Girl and Golden Road before I found oh, the Road yeah. to Avonlea TV series. Yeah. So um, so for me, uh, those are almost separate entities, even though I thoroughly enjoy both. Mm. I have, I still have the visual, like the mental film of having read the books in my head. And so Sarah Stanley to me doesn't look anything like Sarah Polly, you know, even though yeah. she's nifty. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I, so, I, I, so that I, original Sarah Stanley from the books with her, you know, saucy ways and sassy ways and her oral storytelling and her love of just like sitting outside in the orchard and spinning a good tale yeah. alongside and with her nose in a book. Magical, magical. Okay. Um, you've, you've recently asked this question of us. What superhero would you like to be? I, I want to tell a story. <laughs> I yeah. know you said lightning ground. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, when I was a kid, I told you my best friend was a boy, Brian. Mm. Um, he's still around. He's just, we're not in close touch anymore. But, um, but Brian and another friend, Mark, and I used to play superheroes quite a bit. And I was always expected to be Wonder Woman because I was the girl. And I didn't like that because... And this is terrible because I consider myself a pacifist, but she had no weapons. Like they were all, you know, throwing stuff and throwing punches and they could really, you know, do damage in a battle. And all I had were the bulletproof 
wristlets, right? I couldn't do damage in a battle as Wonder Woman. No. But I but the the silver lining I discovered to that was as Wonder Woman, nobody could ever kill me. Anytime they tried to say, well, we got you, you're out. I was like, nope, I had the bracelets. Nope, I had the bracelets. I'm still in this, right? Nice. So even though I couldn't do damage in a battle as Wonder Woman, I was the ultimate survivor. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Good deal, good deal. Excellent, good story. Now, what character would you like to host for tea from fiction? So any character in fiction? Oh. <sighs> too many to count but you know all of the um all of the animal characters from wind in the willows seem like really delightful tea guests you know <laughs> ratty and molly and badger and toad they yeah. just you know they like to sit and have their tea but they also tell good stories and yeah so let's just say the whole crew from wind in the willows and they can have what they want and there's no economy like they don't have to have jobs or anything <laughs> Houses and everything. They're animals of leisure. Right? <laughs> yeah, those kept animals. And, and so, okay, so what for you do you think is the most important Montgomery Studies book, say, in the last 40 years? Uh, 40 years. So going back to the 80s. Um, well, I already told you, I'm just a tremendous fan of Betsy Eberly. So mm. anything that she writes, I'm going to advocate until the cows come home because I just think she's a genius and i don't use that word lightly i think that she is a meticulous and impeccable scholar she reads everything she goes through everything with a fine-tooth comb but she also just makes these connections that make me as a reader go wow hmm. part of me always knew that and yet i never knew yeah Not and great. which is what i want from reading scholarship or fiction or anything, that's what I want most as a reader. I always knew that, and yet I never knew. <laughs> and so she comes to the forefront, but of course, love Mary Rubio, love Elizabeth Waterston, you know, hoping people are going to want to read Kate's in my book when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so the most important book not yet to be written. Is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm really eagerly awaiting more work from, um, Oh my gracious, I'm blanking on her name. And this is an embarrassment because I consider her a friend. But this happens to me sometimes in yeah, situations. Me um, too, me too. Where uh, Emily, who, who co-hosted the conference in 2018. Oh yeah, Worcester. Yeah, Emily Worcester. Worcester, thank you. I don't know why I couldn't bring that name out. I had Emily Bird Star in my head and it wouldn't make way. <laughs> but, um, but I eagerly await more work from Emily Worcester because I'm, as I mentioned with my work with Shakespeare earlier. I'm very interested in intertext in Montgomery. I think she's doing much more complicated things that we have only begun to scratch the surface of. And Emily Worcester's doing some interesting work in that area. And I look forward to her doing more and also to being able to cite her in the work that I'm doing. <laughs> so. wow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I actually have her um, thesis open, her dissertation open right now. I so. got to get a copy of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Well, I'm not I'm not that far into it, so uh, but okay. it's, it's worth getting a copy of. All right. And of course, she's building on Rhea Wilmshurst in some of what she does. And I was also a tremendous fan of Rest Her Soul, Rhea Wilmshurst. So. Yes, and I have actually um, one of those volumes queued up, actually. So one of yeah. uh, Rhea's volumes. So the edited ones, I mean. So, yeah. okay, now here, here's, I want to close off the podcast, kind of moving in a bit more personally. And I understand as a writer, I write fiction, which I I don't really tell people about, but can oh. you tell us? Yeah, well, you know, this happens, but can you tell us like a little bit about 
like what you're working on as a fiction writer because yes. I know that I know that you've made this huge life uh, transformation to do mm -hmm. this, and you've mentioned it a couple times. We don't we don't need too much. Nothing that will you know break secretly. <laughs> but can you help us see just a little bit of what you're doing? Yeah, well, if I can do the shameless plug moment, my website, trinafreeper.com, actually has little kind of taglines that describe six or seven projects that I have in progress. So, like, that's the amount that I'm willing to share on each of those projects. Okay, good. But, yeah. but one, one book centers on a female protagonist, a middle grade novel. Um, working title is The All Worlds Aviators Club. And she... Mm. travels through dimensions to um to a world of anthropomorphized animals where everyone is a pilot and it has been her lifelong dream at the ripe age of 10 to be a pilot so she's in her perfect place when she gets there but everything is not perfect there <laughs> and so yeah. that's where the book unfolds that's that one is completed um and then I have one in progress um, about a princess. Well, I, I, I mentioned in my 2018 video, and it comes up in some other places, I have some Spoonie issues that I deal with personally. Uh, feel free to Google hashtag Spoonie if that's not a familiar term. And um, so my current work that I'm endeavoring to finish by the end of summer is about a young woman, actually two young women, but it starts with one and then the other comes up in the middle of the narrative, who both have um, spoony issues because they've been cursed by a witch. And so they go on a quest to try and have the curse removed. Mm. And then... Um, and then the third one that I have in what I would call active rotation at the moment um, is about a group. This one I'm holding a little closer to the vest, but this one's a full on fantasy about a group of space aliens who go on rescue missions together. Right. And, uh, and so each, each, chapter or I'm, i may fragment it out and have each book be a kind of separate rescue mission oh no that's really cool I, that, that that's that's great actually and thank you for sure i know it is since i have actually um a book that i don't think will go anywhere that i wrote for middle graders wrote the whole manuscript called uh pants are evil and other lessons from outer space okay uh, great title <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's about this uh um species that decides to attack earth for its refrigeration technology from another planet and uh the hero is like a young engineering lad uh basically from that planet and and, th and then they get here and they find out that they're exceptionally small um and that earth oh, seems a lot bigger than they had seen it through their their telescopes so oh that just sounds brilliant I would yeah love to yeah, well, that. I mean, yeah it's kind of it's kind of fun um uh, uh so we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes so i'm very much in sympathy with kind of the way you describe your work thank you were you a hitchhiker's guide fan as a oh, child yeah. or as a youth yeah, yeah me as yeah, well, well as, yeah. a, as a i think as a teen mm -hmm. uh, like it kind of had this subversive element to it right and and yeah. so funny too that british humor yes. i just yeah, i can't get enough of that in fact one of my bios not the one that i submitted for this but one of my bios um i actually say like to understand me best you need to understand that the two books that I carry with me are Anne of Green Gables and Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Like, I actually, that's, 
that's the encapsulation of my personality. (laughs) Yeah, I got the five pack trilogy for the five part trilogy for Christmas this year. Uh, It's like a new version that's not all marked up. And then, um, but actually, (laughs) well, there you go. Well, and I have a, um, uh, I have a version. Like I have um, a future book that's sort of like a, like a kid's biography of creators. A oh, series of not kids, but like young, like a uh, young teen, um, bi- right, right. You- a nonfiction <laughs> book. It's actually called Magrathian Minds, which is based <gasps> off of Magrathia, which is a planet in Hitchhiker's Guide that where they create worlds. And that's how I imagine what Montgomery's doing, you know, what Tolkien's doing, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And again, now we're coming nicely for full circle. To yeah. me, that is why they are not such strange companions as they first appear. Oh, yeah. Because it is just all about that imaginative, enchanted world. And yeah. can I make you a little bit jealous? I actually got to meet Douglas Adams once oh, before he passed. And so he sweet. was he was just as funny in person <laughs> or more so as oh, the books, okay. which I consider to be an astounding feat. Like this man just had everyone in stitches and he kept saying but please don't ask me to sign your towel oh no yeah yeah that's a good theme well i keep i keep like you know uh hoping i'll I'll accidentally bump into neil gaiman um but i'm I'm not (gasps) sure (laughs) how cool would that be (laughs) yeah that's that's great. You, you've mentioned uh, your website, which we've also got in the show notes. Uh, c- can you tell us your uh, bookstagram account name so that we can follow yes. you there? I am. Let me see if I can remember. Tr- at Trina underscore writes. Right. So to foreground the fact that I am currently writing and trying to navigate my way through traditional publishing. And wow, it's a challenge. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a, that is a challenge. Well, hashtag am writing. And, and of yeah. course they can always, if they Google you in Instagram, um, you know, or in Google, they'll, they'll ultimately find their way to your work. I hope. Yeah. I believe so. Yes. Good and, stuff. and I'm, I've been a little less active on Instagram for the last month or so as I've been processing what's going on in the world in a lot of troubling ways. Um, but I'm getting back in the saddle very soon. So. Yeah. Well, listeners just, uh, you know, of the future, this is July, 2020 where we're just oh, yeah. in the midst of kind of a, a churning uh, set of isolation moments. That's right. right. Well, yeah. and, and also the political climate in the U S yes. is, is, has been <sighs> things that have always been troubling are, becoming drastically more troubling very quickly well fortunately though trina you are a writer and so you get to help recreate the world i really hope so (laughs) i really hope you're right and i really hope that a lot of people step up and take this moment to to use their creative abilities in proactive ways i think tony morrison has a great quote and i'm gonna of course partially misquote her because my memory is not great for that kind of thing. But, but she says something to the effect of like, now is the time for writers. This is what we do. We use language to make change. Yeah. Beautiful. And it's a paraphrase. Sorry, but, but the gist is there. (laughs) Well, and the best part of that is if we find the quote, which I'm sure modcast listeners will do and share it on social media, the quote will be even better than the inspirational moments. So that's great. Well, yeah, because Tony Morrison rocks. That's right. All right. Uh, Well, Trina, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a delight. I, 
I love getting to talk about books possibly more than anything else in the world. <laughs> so anytime. Good stuff. Now, reminders that uh, listeners should know, we have links in the show notes to Dr. Freever's website, uh, which she has so many publications, we can't list them all. So you can always check out her stuff there. And as always, the Ellen Montgomery Institute at ellenmontgomery.ca includes interactive features, guest blogs, news about conferences and calls for paper. And there's a, there's one now for 2021-2022 that's coming out, uh, as well as the 2020 Vision space that is ongoing. There's the newest releases of the Journal of Ella Montgomery Studies, and we look forward to some more stuff from Trina there. If you, you enjoyed the modcast and you'd like others to enjoy it as well, please share on social media and give us a rating. It really helps spread the news about the modcast and the Institute's work. And it helps get the word out about innovative research and new initiatives, as we've talked about today. I'm your host, Brenton Dickinson, and I'm here with Technical Director Christy McKinney. Until next time, remember that the world calls them its singers and poets and artists and storytellers, but they are just people who have never forgotten the way to fairyland. Farewell. Farewell.